if you don't mind, Mary, starting us off, just talking for a few minutes um, about what brings you to this panel, what, what, what brings you to an interest in adoption and, to the, and, and, uh, and the work that you're doing. Well, okay. Um, and thank you for having this panel because I think it's very important to talk about adoption. It's the greatest act of love, and we need to really talk about it more. I, um, I'm an attorney by background, and about 16 years ago, I just was inspired to start a Catholic adoption agency to bring adoptive couples out to the sidewalk outside abortion centers. And I had worked for a pro-life organization before that, and so this kind of flowed from that. And um, the reason that we do that is the girls who are having abortions don't understand adoption. They've been told there aren't any good couples to adopt their baby, their baby will be abused, and so how do you counter that? Well, you go outside in prayer, and we often we ask our couples to come with us, and sometimes they do. And we are a nonprofit, so we don't make money off of our adoptions. And by not making money off the adoption, everyone starts looking at adoption for what it really is. It's the greatest act of love. Um, the birth mother focuses on what is best for her child, and that's love, and that's sacrificial love. Love is sacrifice. And mothers who've placed an adoption will tell me they can be a good mom, but they can't be a dad. And, um, and they want more for their child than they can give them. And, um, yeah, I've been witness to some, some really moving adoption, adoption experiences. Um, one of the first ones that was placed in adoption, this woman went in. She was six months pregnant. She went into an abortion center. And the abortion center would do that, but um, when she saw the ultrasound, she said, oh, I can't do that, and um, she was desperate because the person she was with that brought her there uh, wasn't the father of the baby but wanted her to have the abortion. So she left the abortion center, and she told me later she was all panicked and didn't know what to do, and she saw our adoption sign, and she came over and got adoption information. And what's so beautiful is I wasn't actually there that day. Someone was holding our sign, but I wasn't there. And the birth mother, who the adoptive mother, who was usually with me every Tuesday, she wasn't there either. And in the end, this mother chose the very adoptive couple who had been on the sidewalk with me without any encouragement from my, from my point of view or my suggestion. And um, because she said when I met her, uh, she said, I want you to choose the couple. And I said, oh, please, just look at some of our pictures because I didn't want to make that, that decision. And she picked the couple, as I said, who had been on the sidewalk with me. And, um, and, and another thing that happens when our couples join us is that they, they come to us at, you know, very much wanting a baby. But after they stay with us and we know our, they know our mission, which is to help a woman, whether she parents or places, um, they start focusing on how they can help the woman. And it's beautiful to see this transition in the couple. And um, our couples have been instrumental in helping women who've changed their mind outside abortion centers and who have not placed an adoption. But uh, they're just happy to know God used them to, to save a baby. So um, I really think that adoption is the missing link in the pro-life movement. We don't talk enough about it. And um, before I had this agency, I didn't either. 
So uh, I think it's important, this panel is important, because the more we can talk about the fact that it's the greatest act of love, um, I, I think it can save babies from abortion. We, we wanted to follow in the footsteps of St. Mother Teresa, because she, this is how she saved babies from abortion. She would say to the girls, we can help you and get a home for your child, and that's what we can say. And, um, you know, one adoption experience, I mean, there are many, but one in particular, which just proves again what adoption is about, it was this African-American couple that placed their baby with a white couple, and uh, the adoptive father was talking to the, to the birth father, and the birth father said, well, I'm concerned about what my child would think about me when he grows up. And the adoptive father said with tears in his eyes, he said, well, he's going to know you're a hero because I'm going to tell him. And this couple, too, had left an abortion place to place an adoption. And I am witness to seeing these children grow up, and they grow up in Catholic homes, and they're happy, and they're well-loved. And um, I, I just want to read, and then I won't talk too much longer about it, but I just want to read this letter that I got from this boy who was adopted about 10 years ago. And it was the mother was living with the Sisters of Life, found out about our agency, and we do have Catholic couples, and they were looking for Catholic couples. And um, so she chose one of our couples, and actually, while the couple was waiting for this baby to be born, they got pregnant. And everybody was fine with it. And I was fine with it, too. So you have uh, the adopted child is six months um, uh, older than the other child. And the, the adopted boy who wrote this little note is a, a biracial uh, boy with black curly hair, and his sister is six months younger, is blonde and, and you know, Caucasian, and they're best friends. But he just wrote this letter, he sent it not too long ago, and um, he says, he said, thank you for being in this agency. Let me introduce myself. I mean, I, I know him, but he doesn't, maybe, I met him a few years ago again. But anyway, he said, my name is Christopher, and the parents said I could use this letter. My name is Christopher Paul Johnson, and I earn money at my mom and dad's store, and I am donating some of that money to your agency. The only reason why I'm donating to your agency is because if it wasn't for your agency being a thing, I wouldn't have the family I have. Thank you. So it was just precious. And... Um, you know, and another reason that it's good to talk about adoption is that if a woman explores adoption, she more freely can make a decision to parent. And we've had women do that. One in particular, um, it was a, she lived in another state, and it was very complicated to put the adoption together. But it all came together when the baby, the baby was born, and she decided to parent. But she told me that, and in her situation, it was the best. But she told me she couldn't have made the uh, free decision to parent if she hadn't explored adoption. And she said it was so easy to get an abortion, but so difficult to end up uh, finding a couple and, and getting the agencies to work together to make an adoption happen. But we, we did it. And, um, but she was very grateful that she, um, she knew she could have placed with a beautiful family, and she decided to parent. So on that note, I should probably stop talking and let others talk about it. Oh, thank you so much. That was beautiful, Mary. Um, before I let Gracie talk, I just want to point out we have um, some copies of um, 
the latest issue of the Angelus uh, magazine, which is the archdiocese of LA's uh, news magazine. I, I'm on the board of advisors, so I feel like I'm doing something. You know, if I if I plug them, it's it's a beautifully done magazine. But the main reason that that uh, that I mention it is that Gracie has a, a beautiful column on on adoption in this issue. Um, and it has nothing to do with the pilgrimage to Fatima and Lourdes that I'm leading, <laughs> Bishop O'Connell, um, uh, which you can also take a look at on the back cover. But there's some copies outside. Um, um, so I think you'd probably want to read that. Um, Gracie, can, can you tell us why, uh, why adoption is important to you? Well, first of all, you made me cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, so, it's so true that adoption is an act of love. But in our culture... It's it's an act of love that I don't think has the well I know it doesn't have the 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 importance placed on it doesn't have the right value attached to it and 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 I'm really sorry for that from from a lot of perspectives from the pro life perspective I'm sorry because it's true it's what you say it's a missing link in the in in the pro life culture um, without adoption we're missing a big step right um, and without that beautiful culture of adoption and the acceptance of adoption but there's more to it I mean, for me. I'm a mom by a biology. You know, I have four, four biological children, and then my husband and I decided to adopt, and it was a, a, an adoption uh, as an act of love, as, a, as we didn't need a child. We had plenty of children, and, but we wanted, we had, we had so much. We had, to, for a child, we had four grandparents and four siblings and two parents and a great street to play on, and... And just and love and love and love and love and God, right? Because so many children uh, don't even grow up to know about God and, and how horrible to miss all those things. So we so we made this decision, and and um, and it was a difficult process. We adopted internationally. Our daughter's Chinese, and um, it was difficult because it's hard. And and part of the difficulty was that we got a lot of negativity from people around us. A lot of negativity. I was very surprised. Because I thought, you know, if if, um, if there's something you can get behind is, 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 you know, somebody who's adopting a child, you would think that that would encourage, you know, people would be happy to, to encourage you and to give you. But it wasn't so. And, and it left me thinking. Uh, I was pained by it. And it left me thinking how sad. And, and, it's, and it was scary to, to wait 20 months for the child and then always people saying, oh, that, you're crazy. That's, that's insane. You don't know what you're going to get. Or don't you have enough children? Or how are you going to um, take care of the ones you have? You know, you're going out to get other people's problems and bring them home, right? I mean, people, good people told me these things. Um, and then I had my child, my, and, and I write about it in the magazine, but I, I've written about it a lot. And it was, hands down, the most beautiful thing that has ever happened to me is to be my little girl's mother. And I'm a mother already, so... I was a mother already. I had already done that four times. But her coming to love her, falling in love with her, is the prettiest thing that has ever happened to me. I am beyond blessed in life. to Not even just to know her. She's, she's, a per, she's perfection. She's perfection. And I, I, it's wonderful that, that I get to know her. But that process of falling in love with her was so beautiful. And I feel sorry that people reject it in favor of IVF or the you know uh, surrogacy and three three baby three parent embryos and 
who knows what's going to be available next month, right? That you can invent a person or clone a person. And, and here they are, these, these perfect treasures, these perfect gifts, um, aching for a home, aching for someone to kiss them sweetly. You know, something that you can't get in an orphanage or in foster care or, you know, and um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend adoption as a, a vehicle of grace. After having, ex, you know, having um, studied, uh, experienced this process, I looked into it a little more theologically, and I was, I was so struck by the fact that that's, that's God's relationship to us, is one of adoption. He adopted us as his children by choice. He, he chose us, and he brought us into himself. He shares his divine life with us. That's how he chooses to share his grace with us. That is the vehicle of grace, is adoption. It's not biological descent. So there must be something spectacular about it. So I'm here to say adoption is as good or better than biological parenting. I know it's, I know it's crazy. I know it's countercultural, and, and, but, but I truly feel that. There's, there's a miraculous aspect to it that is, is beyond amazing, and, and, it, and it fills your whole life with joy. Thank you so much, Gracie. And Millie, how did you come to be on this panel tonight? Um, Besides saying yes to me. <laughs> Thank you for doing so. Um, well, I kind of prepared a little talk, so I'll start there. Um, so my baby would meet popes and presidents, but how could I know this back when I was 21 years old and looked with shock at the positive sign on my pregnancy test and felt the ensuing panic? That was 25 years ago. Like I said, I was 21 years old, getting ready to start my senior year of college in three weeks, and slated to play number one singles for the Division I college tennis team at Loyola College in Maryland. My baby would someday meet popes and presidents. How could I know this? Welcome, everyone. Let me backtrack a bit and introduce myself, and I'll get back to my personal story of a crisis pregnancy I faced at the age of 21, which led me from being abortion-minded to ultimately becoming a birth mother, giving up a daughter for adoption. My name is Millie Lopez, and I'm the director of the Women, new Women's Care Center that just opened last May in Baltimore, Maryland. The Women's Care Center is a Catholic, pro-life, crisis pregnancy resource center that offers free pregnancy tests, free sonograms, and parenting support and resources. We are also blessed to have Archbishop Laurie on our board of directors. We are the 25th of 26 women's care centers in eight states, but the first to make it down to the Mid-Atlantic. One will be opening in York, PA soon also, so we're excited about that. Uh, wherever a women's care center locates, abortion rates decline significantly. We locate strategically either next door or across the street from the largest abortion providers, and we're open full-time with paid staff. The combination of our unconditionally loving counseling model with the free ultrasound and hearing the baby's heartbeat results in many more moms choosing life for their babies. We offer all of our services completely free of charge, and we are 100% supported by private donations. Uh, we also give referrals for post-abortive counseling, healing, and retreats th through the Archdiocesan program, Project Rachel. Before I tell you my story, I would like to let you know that God has blessed my life with adoption at an early age, really all my life, with my older brother, Charlie, who was adopted. My parents were told they were high school sweethearts, and they, were, and they had two kids right away, and they were told that they weren't going to be able to have any more kids uh, for medical reasons. Um, and so they just, they always wanted a big family, and they decided to adopt the rest. 
kind of like <laughs> they contacted Catholic Charities, and about a month later, they had a newborn baby boy, my older brother Charlie. However, another surprise was in store because the doctors were wrong, and my parents quickly learned that they were pregnant, and a year later had another son, and soon after that, myself and my younger sister. So our family has had a unique perspective on adoption because my parents have two biological children first, then one adopted child, and then three more biological children, myself included. I learned a lot about the nature versus nurture discussion by my experiences with my brother Charlie. He definitely learned respectfulness and kindness from my parents, but I don't think they taught him his witty sense of humor that had us rolling with laughter at the dinner table through all my years growing up. Charlie is a much beloved brother, and I couldn't imagine life without him. He is now married and has four beautiful children of his own. Charlie was thankfully born in 1968, which makes me shudder to think of his chances of surviving if he had been born after 1973 when abortion was made legal. I am also saddened for couples, especially in the United States, who wish to adopt today, who have to wait sometimes years to adopt. This seems to be a sad result of abortion as well. Now back to my crisis pregnancy. When I learned I was pregnant three weeks before returning to school for the tennis season, I panicked and was in full crisis mode. It was an ex-boyfriend and he was encouraging me to get an abortion. A friend took me to where else but Planned Parenthood. But by the grace of God, and I always say my father's repeated novenas for me and my brothers and sisters, <laughs> I had a sliver of grace and did not set up an appointment that day and chose instead to go through with the pregnancy. I ended up only telling a few close friends and family, and I played the entire tennis season, even winning the number one doubles conference championship that fall, and took the second semester off uh, and had a beautiful baby daughter in the spring who I chose to give up for adoption. She has had a beautiful life in a beautiful Catholic family, and when she was about three years old, she even personally met and was kissed by St. Pope John Paul II. Her adoptive father worked for an embassy, and she personally met President George Bush and Laura Bush, and President Bush commented on what a beautiful daughter they had. So as you can see, my baby did meet popes and presidents in her lifetime. I received letters and pictures of her every year at her birthday, and it has been such a joy. She, she played number one doubles high school tennis, was star of the school play, honored in IB, and was homecoming queen. She is now 24 years old and pursuing her dream of acting and singing, and I hope I will get a chance to meet her someday. I have also been blessed to raise three children of my own. So as you can see how God has blessed my life with adoption my whole life, with my brother Charlie and for the past 24 years as a birth mother, I am eternally grateful that I was spared the abortion experience and instead found the joys of adoption. And I'll be happy to answer any questions. So, thank you. Well, now that you made us all cry, Millie. <laughs> what an amazing story. Thank you so much. Um, it's been impressed upon me that you cannot have one of these conversations without having you, um, Millie. Um, you bring such an important perspective to this and experience to this. Um, it, you're all heroes, and we're so grateful for, for all of your, your testimonies. Um, what I want to ask you, um, because you, you all hit on this in your, in your comments, um, your opening comments, um, Mary, if you want to start, so what are we doing wrong? I mean, we're 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 pro-life people in a pro-life movement and a church that that loves life and talks about life prophetically, and and yet we don't have this welcoming, this beautiful welcoming ad ad adoption culture. You talked about Gracie. Um, what are we doing wrong, and and what can we what can we start doing right? 
Well, I don't know if we're doing anything wrong. It's just I think that we just haven't been thinking about adoption. I mean, and the reason being, I mean, I didn't think that much about it before I started this agency, is that the media doesn't cover good adoption stories. Mm -hmm. And so we're all kind of just like, don't have a good image of adoption. Don't think about it because if you, you know, I don't. We're all affected by what we we see and read and hear in the media, and so uh, I don't think it's anything that we've done wrong. I, I think though that if people can start talking about it and sharing the experiences that you're hearing here, that's that's a lot. If we can just start talking about adoption, how it's the greatest act of love, you know, what everyone has said here. It, first of all, it is the relationship that God chose to have with us, adoption. I mean, that's so true. And and Moses was adopted, and he was saved from abortion. <laughs> he was saved from death at the time. He was saved from death and adopted. So um, I don't think it's so much critical that we're doing something wrong. It's just that we need to kind of talk about it more and you know share the stories that you're hearing here and uh, and that does a lot talk about it at, with friends um, and you know one of the the couples that ended up adopting through our agency I encourage our couples not just to I get them to think about coming and praying outside abortion centers but also anywhere they are letting people know they want to help a girl who's pregnant and adopt the child and anybody can do that. You know, couples come to me and they want a home study, which needs to be done before they can ever get a, a baby. But I tell them, you know, it's not the home study that's rare. It's the baby. So um, if you feel comfortable, share your desire to adopt a baby with your coworkers, with your friends. And in one instance, um, the couple did that, and they heard about a mother who was abortion-minded. And word got to this mother that they wanted to help her and adopt her baby. And so she changed her mind just because of that. And when she came in to visit with me, she said, what I've heard before, she said, well, I was just going to have another abortion because I didn't know there were good couples to adopt my baby. So and this isn't this is what they've been told by the abortionists and others. So I think just um, anyone, and, and what I like about our agency, it's not about money. So anyone who wants is called to adopt could certainly let people know that. And so just talking about adoption, I think, in a very positive way and sharing the stories you're hearing today. Before I go on to Gracie, Mary, what, um, what, what, how do you advise uh, people who, who want to adopt and are going to talk about adoption but then get the kind of pushback that Gracie got? Um, why would you bring other people's troubles into your home? Yeah, you know, I, we have one couple that have adopted four through our agency, and they would tell me those stories too. People would say, "You want four? What do you want? For? Don't you have enough?" When you know, when they had, they adopted one, and they adopted another. You know, they they don't understand. So, uh, just sharing what you've heard here tonight—it's the greatest act of love, and it's it's uh, divinely inspired, and. So just, you know, don't be surprised when you hear negative things because people don't understand. It's all the more reason to talk about it. Yeah, talk about it in a positive way. I mean, you don't have to say to someone, oh, you're wrong. Just share what you know about it's the greatest act of love. And birth mothers have said to me, they can be a good mom. I know I said this before, but they can't be a dad. And so it's the greatest act of love. And, and the baby benefits from the love of the birth parents and the love of the adoptive couple there was another um one of our couples who you know it's interesting because the couples 
who have been on the sidewalk with us for a concerted amount of time have a baby, not necessarily from the abortion place, but from other sources. And I just think that's God's blessing upon them. And we don't require the couples to come, but we ask them to consider coming. And this one couple would travel two and a half hours every morning. They'd leave their house at 4.30 because the abortionists started doing abortions at 6.30 in the morning in downtown Minneapolis. And I told them, you don't have to do that. You know, I almost tried to talk them out of it. I said, that's too extreme. And no, we believe in what you're about. So they were on the sidewalk for about a year and they just pray. And, um, and they were blessed with a, a, actually a, a senior in high school, I mean in college, a junior in college was living with the Sisters of Life and chose them and, um, and then went on her senior year to uh, study abroad and do very well. But, um, and then they went on to adopt, the same couple went on to adopt a five-month-old little boy. And, um, and you could see the time of placement that the, both birth parents were very much in love with this child, but they were living a crazy life and they couldn't provide for the child. And so, um, but it was with tears in the eyes that, that they exchanged the child. And um, it's just, again, you know, just the greatest act of love from everyone's perspective. And the, some of the criticisms that, um, that people might say is, how can, you, how can you give your baby away? It's not giving your baby away. It's giving your baby a way of life, but it's not abandoning your child by any means. And especially today, because birth mothers get to choose the couple, they can interview as many couples as they want, and they can get pictures and, and letters of their couple. So I forget what your question was, but. <laughs> you answered it. Okay. <laughs> Gracie, what could we do better, and what are we doing wrong if as, a, as a church you think as a as a christian as, as christians as pro-lifers i i think that there that we have to very uh look what you're doing what you're doing is what we have to do we have to very very much very specifically very purposefully build a culture of adoption and and that can be done when i when we went to adopt our little girl in, in china we i traveled with uh, an adoption agency and there were 12, family, 12 couples going to adopt. And most of them were very fervent Protestant Christians of one denomination or another. And I believe, I know, because I've spoken to other people, that there are churches uh, who have built these very fervent cultures of adoption. So we, we read the same Bible, we have the same ideas, and we, so I think in the Catholic Church we can certainly, I know this is an ecumenical talk, but we can certainly, um, we can do that too. Maybe we get hung up, I, I think about this a lot, maybe we get hung up on the fact that we are pro-life and we believe in large families and accepting children as, accepting children as blessings and then maybe adoption seems like you're, as a, from an adoptive parent perspective, that you're sort of veering away from that. It's like a mixed message. A mixed message, right. I, you know, accept all the children God gives you. Well, if I'm doing that, then I can also go out and, and adopt, right? So then adoption becomes a, a very much a second choice. It's only for the infertile. But again, I, I don't think that that's the correct way to look at adoption. It has to be seen as yet another way that God matches children with their parents, but yet another way to, to love, yet another way to, to you know, go to make the next generation. It's, it's, it's as worthy as, again, God shows it, how he relates to us. I think, I think that's a big part of it. You know, in the wider culture, the problem is people look at children as accessories or, you know, fancy purses. And 
that's not how adoption works. It's, these are children that need homes. They're not necessarily the child with the perfect set of genes, perfect that you picked out because your husband's so wonderful and you're so wonderful and you know, you've know you never had any bad genes in your family ever. <laughs> the, so, or the child's not the right color or they're not the right race. So I, I think those are two separate issues. But I, I do think that we can build a culture of adoption with efforts like you're making. I think it's beautiful that you are putting the spotlight on this and and saying, let's do it. Let's see where the where we can make the philosophies flower and the culture bloom. I um I think it's beautiful that I did not plan for you to be talking about God choosing an adoptive, uh, the adoptive means of coming into the world as I'm standing in front of Saint Joseph. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a nice exactly. exclamation point on your on your point. Um, Billy, what could we be doing better? Um, well, and I've thought about this a lot. The main reason that I was tempted to get an abortion, because I grew up Catholic, I'd gone to the March for Life in eighth grade. I, I think I was in the pro-life group in high school because my brother was adopted. I understood everything, but I was living very selfishly in college, and uh, a lot of that can be blinded. But the main reason I was was the shame. And I feel like us as a culture, we have to be careful. We have high morals and ideals, you know, no premarital sex and things like that. But we're but human. At the same time, we have to have we have to be careful how we talk about someone who d does that we do know is pregnant because there's you know mm -hmm. ten girls that have gotten an abortion so that you won't talk about them. Um, so I think it's one in three, one in four women have had abortions. So I always try to mention Project Rachel, and I feel like I was spared, and I don't feel like I was worthy of it. I, I do really attribute it to my dad's novenas, um, and so. I right away had a pro-life vocation, so for the last 20 years, I volunteer counseled at Birthright for 10 years in Silver Spring. I am from the D.C. area, <laughs> but, but um, I'm from Chevy Chase. But um, yeah, so uh, I ran pro-life groups, um, and uh, um, I started doing 40 Days for Life, started giving my testimony as my kids got older. Um, so I think the best thing we can do is be careful how we portray someone's listening how you're, you might be talking about someone else who's pregnant in the community. You have to maybe, and even your kids are listening. I mean, like say, wow, she chose life. She, she wasn't maybe doing the right thing, but she's not gonna do two wrongs. You know, you know she's now choosing the better way. And so like praising that, because it's really hard to wanna be the one person that chooses life and nobody else, you know, and, and you're the one that gets the stigma, but there's a lot of, you know, so it's, it's I guess, shame. I, I guess realize the power of shame, and I know it kind of, it's gonna take a long time to change a culture, but one person at a time, one heart at a time, one conversation that you realize you're being listened to, and you don't know if that person might be going through something, and that your words might actually um, make a difference. Well, I just wanna really support that, because yeah. um, this one birth mother who was very tempted with abortion, she came to visit me, and she was so surprised I wasn't judgmental. You know, oh, yeah. and, and, and then another birth mother tells her story, and, and these stories are on our website. It's a simple website, but the very moving stories from birth mothers. And this other girl whose son actually was blessed by John Paul II oh, also. Yeah. But anyway, she was tempted with abortion, went to the abortion place, didn't do it, petrified, called her mother. She was, like, tortured with this. But her mother said something that relieved her completely. 
she was crying on the phone, and her mother said, what is wrong, Jenny? Are you, you have cancer. What's wrong? She said, no, I'm pregnant. And she said, don't you shed a tear for that child. That's a blessing. And I agree with you that the shame comes with pregnancy. And so talking about it, um, you know, that, uh, you know, in conversation, that um, it's, it's a great act of courageous love. Yeah, we need to talk about adoption that way. Yeah, talk and, about it, you know, in that way. And, and, I, I and if say, you ever hear, you know, like if you ever hear anyone's pregnant, just say, oh, that's a blessing, you know. Um, and I always say shame, unfortunately, kills a lot of babies. And it's true. Yeah. So as a society, we have a little bit of responsibility. If we're not willing to see these pregnant women or help them and make it a place where they feel comfortable enough, then we're a little bit responsible as well. Well, and then there was one birth mother that shared a story that she got so much criticism from everyone because she wanted to place her baby in adoption. I mean, this, this is amazes me, but this goes on, that she was totally criticized for wanting to do that. So, I was um, just reading Gilbert Mylander has a book about his own adoption experiences and, and theology and lots of different layers of it. Um, but he's been a professor teaching Christian ethics for, I think, four decades and says every time this comes up, the girls in his class, the young women in his class say, I could never live with not, not raising the child, not knowing what's happening in the child's life every day. Um, and so, so abortion seems a more reasonable, livable option for them. Um, Millie, how do you respond to that when you hear that? Yeah, I've heard that a lot, like at birthright. Oh, I could never put up for adoption, but I could get an abortion. Um, so um, I never completely could wrap my mind around that one because I grew up with adoption, so I'm not sure how it is if you didn't grow up with it. That's mm-hmm. um, a tough one. Uh, it's just that's a culture thing, too, I right. guess, is they, they need to know that that baby's love, that there's a lot of mm-hmm. desperate couples waiting. Um, to love that child. And, and that nowadays you can really pick and choose. I, I could have, they would have been willing to be more open with me. I kind of, knowing my brother's experience and being from an adoptive family, I felt like I wanted to just let her live her life and letters and pictures at her birthday was, for me, what I was, I thought was good. Um, as far as just kind of, um, but everybody has what is good for them and a lot of adoptions these days can be as open as you want it, so... And that's an important point that I think most people don't realize. Yeah. That, that, that In the old days, it used to be you never knew anything about them. And, and that would have been hard. But, but I there are options. Yeah. There yeah. are options and yeah. for what people feel called to. I would love to. to meet her. So as, whenever she's ready, I would love to meet her. So. Yeah. Gracie, how do you deal with that kind of cultural context um, with women thinking that it would be more reasonable for them and more well, plausible I, for them to have an abortion. I, I totally understand it. I, I, I spend a lot of time worrying about my child's birth parents. I think about them a lot. My husband and I pray for them every day without ceasing, without fail. And, you know, on the day of her birthday, I, I cry for her because for the mother and the father and the grandparents and her siblings that don't know her if she has any, because I do think they've, they're missing something so beautiful. And so I understand. I understand not wanting to live not wanting to live missing that beauty. On the other hand, that you could choose death for the child. Instead, that just speaks to the terribleness of the culture that teaches us that, that death of the child is, is, a, is a non, 
traumatic event <laughs> for anyone, for everyone involved, you know, mm -hmm. for the child, for the mom, for the dad, for the family that's missing the child. Again, you go into this a life of missing that child. And, and I, I've also worked with women in Project Rachel, and it's a terrible life for people who go ahead and miss the child, whether you're missing the child either way. But they are being told by the culture that they're not going to miss the child they abort. I mean, it's just one of those horrible lies that yeah. are causing so much suffering. Yeah, abortion is, was at least when I was thinking about it, it seemed like such an easy option. Uh, you know, like this will be quick, easy, nobody has to know. Um, and I actually asked a selfish question when I was at Planned Parenthood. I asked if it would hurt, and thankfully she said yes. And I thought, then my selfish part was like, well, <laughs> you know, so, so I didn't set up the appointment, and then I, I went out to my car with my friend, and she said, uh, I think you can do it. And I said, do what? And she said, I think I can see you going nine months and having this baby. And it was like a light bulb. I just, all of a sudden, her believing it made me be able to see it. And I told my family, they were incredibly supportive. I went back to school. I mean, so I did a lot of the things I thought I wasn't going to be able to do. Um, and then found, you know, I found my pro-life vocation and spoke at Birthright. And in the audience was the, someone was training to be a counselor and they gave their biographies. And I had looked at a bunch of families, but I just knew that was them. And um, so, and we actually just exchanged emails lately because now we just emailed directly. <laughs> we had went through the agency for years and years. But um, I told her the day before I gave the talk because I hated public speaking. <laughs> and I, so anyway, so God has a sense of humor because <laughs> now I speak all the time. But but um, uh, the day before the, I gave that talk, which I didn't know how I ever agreed to it, but I. Um, the sun was coming through the kitchen, and I just had this incredible peace. And so I, I told her um, that story in an email, and then she told me a story that she had kind of fallen away from the church, um, and a guy kept insisting that she, that was visiting from uh, out of town to her and her husband said, "Will you just come to church as a favor, as a friend to me?" So she sat in the way back, found a bulletin, uh, and in it she saw birth, they needed birthright volunteers. And on that day, so she went the very first thing, and, and we met at the second training class. So, and she ran out to her husband and said, I just found a birth mother for our you know, baby. She's like, what, what, wait, she's going to be coming out. So, but I mean, I, didn't, I hadn't even met her yet, but she was so sure that that's why she was there. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So it's, it is amazing how God, he lavished the blessings after uh, after, I mean, it was difficult, and then there's a lot of difficult things. And I, and I pretty much hid out at home. Like, I had the second semester. I didn't tell people. I, I didn't even tell my own grandmother ever, which always kind of saddens me. And so there's a lot of hurt and pain and, and hiding because the culture wouldn't have really accepted me, and I, I just couldn't handle it. So, so, I, so my family was wonderful. Um, but there's a lot of pain that goes into that, too. So I'm able to talk now because... When you get older, you don't care. <laughs> but, but anyway, but, um, well, and you see it as a vocational thing to talk oh, about. Oh yes, yes, yes. So that helps. <laughs> well, I just mean, yeah. I I don't know. You have more. I don't know if it's wisdom. I don't know what it is. But. <laughs> what um, can we do for for any of you as pro-lifers to 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 acknowledge the loss that a birth mother feels and the pain that is real? Um, that, that you and your husband very much uh, appreciate, um, Gracie. Um, how, and also, too, how I think, I think there's a danger on this issue, on other issues as well, 
um, but in a, in a grave way on this one, where, you know, we sort of treat this issue like, well, abortion is, is, is something that those people do or other people do, um, and, and maybe don't admit as much that, that good Catholic Christian people are, are in difficult situations, too, and are, are tempted to, to, oh, yeah. to, to take what all of culture says is a choice as, as their choice. Um, and so much of the pressure is, is there, even in, in good Catholic families and upbringings. Oh, yeah, that's very, and I, I think a lot more people tell me because I give my story, so I, I know uh, the one in three or one in four is, I can't remember what it is, but uh, it's very accurate. And I feel very grateful, like I said, that I didn't get an abortion, I, and I don't feel any, <coughs> I, I feel like it's a greater trial given to people, and God's trusted them with a the greater trial, um, but he's forgiving and just going to confession and, and receiving the healing through Project Rachel. Um, um, but I was going to say, at the birthday, you mentioned like what, how to acknowledge. Um, and I, at the birthday is kind of when, because I was raising young kids and I couldn't think of it all the time. So at the birthday, I gave myself kind of that two-week time. I had a, a baby box where I put all the letters that they sent and everything, pictures. And so I allowed myself to cry, allowed myself to go through it every year. Um, so I still do that at her birthday, and I would write the letter and send pictures of my kids and they would write a letter about what she was doing and send pictures so it was really beautiful that was my way to grieve and, and there would be other days where you just think about it And um, but most of the time I think I just was so grateful that I hadn't had an abortion that I, her pictures were such a joy you know I just was like How, thank you for sparing me you know, and I feel like people who've had abortions are victims as well because they're told it's easy. They're told that, you know, a lot of them, you just giving someone in a crisis a choice like that that's not really a choice is not, I feel like they're victims as well and they have to pay for it the rest of their lives. And so that to me is very sad. I think you, you share what our birth mothers have shared with us, that when they see their child so happy, I mean, there's still pain, but the joy knowing their child is doing well overcomes and that. And, yeah. and there could be a time when they might see their child when they get older. But also, you know, our goal is eternal life, and, you know, they'll be together forever in eternal life. So that's all that matters anyway but it's not doesn't take the pain away no I know but but you know when you talk about them saying I could never do that and I've heard it I don't know how many times outside of the abortion place, I could never do that I could never do that okay well all you do is try to gently keep mentioning it but the baby's already here you know like people will say oh adoption is so difficult well the baby's here abortion is not easy and they'll always remember that baby and adoption you know, some birth mothers find it easier than others. The adoption isn't easy either, but the baby's here. So it's not like there is, like, abortion isn't easy and adoption isn't easy. But, you know, it's like, you know, would you try to try to talk to that to the girls that way? But, but they, uh, they don't understand adoption, and that's why they're going to have abortion. The statistics, that the latest statistics from the National Council of Adoption, uh, 2014, they were like, 18,329 infant domestic adoptions in 2014, about 18,000, and over a million abortions. I mean, and that's just an example of 
how it is the missing link in the pro-life movement and we need to talk about it. And people need to talk about how abortion isn't easy. It isn't and easy. And the, like... the procedures and risks. And oh, that's yeah. what we do at our Crisis Pregnancy Center sure. is educate them on the procedures and the risks. And uh, a lot of them don't know what they're about to go through. Uh, so. I was thinking God works with everything when you said that you asked if it was going to be painful. And that, yeah. Was, yeah. that was the entryway to another choice. Yeah. Um, I should mention very briefly, for anyone who doesn't know, um, um, Project Rachel is a ministry to women who have had abortions, um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful ministry that not a lot of people um, know is out there. Um, questions from the audience? What are the statistics on couples waiting to adopt? I remember we always used to say there are two million American couples waiting to adopt. Is that still true? Is that? And then how does international adoption play into that? Because so many countries have kind of shut down because of abuses, sadly. Um, you know, so I, I don't know if you talked at all about international adoption, but... Well, we don't do it international adoption since we're so small. We don't have the, the personnel to do that. Um, I just know that there are a lot of couples waiting to adopt. I don't have the statistics, but there are so many couples waiting to adopt. Um, millions, I'm sure. And so um, I think one of the statistics I saw one time is for every baby that's adopted, there are 40 couples waiting, something like that. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's just a number of couples that are waiting to adopt and uh, wonderful couples that would um, love the child and take good care of the child. And so we just need to keep trying to let girls know that. And I think what we've said here before, anytime you hear anyone who's pregnant, tell them the baby's always a blessing, and that if they think about adoption, it's the courageous act, it, it's the greatest act of love to support anyone that is thinking of placing their baby in adoption or parenting, you know, just encouragement. Because unfortunately, Catholics, I believe, are having abortions. I mean, I've had Catholic girls come to me that have been tempted and turned away from it, but um, I think we know Catholics are having abortions, so it's important for Catholics to talk about it. You know, Maureen brings up the um, international adoption, but that to me brings up the idea that, I mean, that we have to consider policy, adoption policy, because uh, the government is very much involved in adoption, and their, their willingness to facilitate it internationally or even locally has a lot to do with whether or not we are building an adoption culture, then that fits into the pro-life, um, you know, scheme. Because I think if, if, if people are able to adopt, people, all these wonderful couples that are waiting for children, then you, more adopted children are walking around and people are experiencing this and talking about it, and then that feeds into the pro-life uh, idea that adoption is a good, honorable thing and, and brings joy and it's an act of love. So it would be wonderful to see better, better policy uh, being made, especially internationally. I think it's very difficult to adopt internationally. Programs open, then they close, and, and because there's corruption in every, it gets corrupted on every, on every set. There's a lot of money involved, and where you have money and you have corruption. But it'd be great to see better uh, work between nations so that all these couples who want children can, can have them. A prominent conservative policy maker who has adopted a child um, internationally said to me earlier today um, that 
that it, it brings tears to his eyes to think that um, other couples are deprived of the joy he and his wife have because of stupid policies. Stupid policies is right. A question in the back. Um, you touched, we touched briefly on the, the idea of, of shame is one of the reasons, probably a strong reason why a lot of women um, choose abortion. And it's probably true that there are a lot of girls out there who are women who are pregnant who don't have supportive communities or families or whatever. And even if they were to say something or choose to do it, they're not going to get supported and they are going to be pressured and shamed into wanting to choose an abortion. And even you think about, I know people who are pregnant who've chosen to be pregnant, have a family to bring that child, uh, you know, into the into the world. Um, they're getting sh like shamed and pressured being pregnant in the workplace, and there's still so much discrimination there. So, what are the practical things that organizations that are out there, like the two that you know you you Miss um, Ball and Lupus work for, but what what are the practical things that we can do to like eliminate some of that pain and shame that women in feel is inevitable and in many ways is inevitable. Um, that comes from so many places, not necessarily just their family, but their schools, their professors, their, you know, people they're working for, people that are just like, you're, you know, from whatever walk of life, like, why would you, why would you do this when you don't have to? At the Women's Care Center, um, you know, and actually we do have people coming from the D.C. area. We're in Baltimore, but it's just an hour drive. And actually a lot of times people want to go somewhere outside of their <clears throat> local place because they don't want to really be seen. Um, but um, we have counselors that go over the obstacles they might be facing telling their parents or um, we have college students, we have <clears throat> people in their master's degree or in the workforce. Um, and um, volunteering at somewhere like that, we have parenting classes giving money to organizations like that. Hopefully women's care will, hopefully someday I would love to see it go to the DC area. Um, but I, I think as far as the general culture, we just change one heart at a time and that's kind of all of our jobs is just in our conversations and what we do. Um, if we're reporters, you know, we talk about it and having these discussions and um, um, really praying about where you might be called. Uh, 40 Days for Life is a wonderful thing, um, praying outside of abortion clinics. Uh, peacefully and prayerfully um, and you have to sign something saying that um, so a lot of a lot of people are called a lot of different things but it kind of comes down to how we talk to other people about the issue and people are always listening and so what you say does matter um, and how you say it and too. How, so one heart at a time I know it takes a long time but that's kind of maybe in the workforce if you hear somebody saying something about somebody having too many kids. I know my older sister has eight children and my younger sister is pregnant with her 10th. <laughs> and she hears constantly, you know, people, oh, like you're having another, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? So it's like all that, you know, um, there's that discrimination against people who want big families and love big families and take their Catholic faith seriously and everything. So, um, so anyway, so that's, and you should applaud women who, you know, uh, want to be moms and, and in the workplace say a positive, say something positive about them um, and to them. So. As, as you just um, alluded to, Millie, everybody 
has a different role in this picture. And one of the reasons I was excited to have you marry is um, be, because not not everyone necessarily is called to, to adopt, um, but there are different ways that we can support and encourage and connect people. Um, what, how, how did it ever occur to you to start a small adoption agency, a small humble adoption agency um, to do your part here in this picture? Well, as I said, I was working for a pro-life organization at the time, and their ministry was to pray outside abortion centers. And um, an attorney on the board um, approached me and said he always had this vision of bringing adoptive couples to the sidewalk. And it just made all the sense in the world to me. And so it just clicked, and I just, you know, I think I shared with you that I had a spiritual director at the time, a Dominican, a holy Dominican priest, and I really consider him the founder because I knew nothing about adoption agencies, and I struggled to get the license, and he kept encouraging it. One time I called him, I said, Father, I'm not, one person can't do this. I'm not going to do it anymore. And he said, but it sounds like such a good idea. <laughs> okay, Father. And then one you know, we live on donations, which I really like that we don't make money off of the adoptions itself. So one time I called him, I said, Father, you know, we don't have much money, and I'm getting a little tired. Maybe God's calling me to do something else. And I was serious. <laughs> I said, and he was funny. He said, well, if you quit before you're down to zero, people will say, why'd you quit? I said, okay, Father. Anyway, uh, it was just to, that's all I can say. It just laid on my heart, and because I had been outside the abortion place, it just made all the sense in the world. And that's one of the reasons we don't, uh, we charge $350. I don't even know why we do that for all the work that we do with to put an adoption together. And um, I just thought, well, let's not charge those adoption fees, and that will encourage couples to come. And I have seen what what a miracle it is when there are couples on the sidewalk. It, they're praying, but they're there. And it has changed women's mind just to see someone. You know, one of the couples say, when we're out there, we give, we want a baby. We're talking about a baby. And so it makes the baby more real for the mother. And when I started the agency, I said, Lord, if I never see an adoption placement, keep me on the sidewalk because I think it's an encouragement for the birth mother to keep the baby alive and we have had instances where that has happened so I can't really explain it except it just made all the sense in the world to me and it still does 16 years later I say what am I still doing but we opened a branch office recently near the University of Notre Dame because I want to help Notre Dame my father taught there and so I'm trying slowly to make some inroads on the campus and um it's just, uh, it's hard to explain the beauty of seeing these couples on the sidewalk praying as these girls go in it, and, and hold, you know, and I have an adoption sign, and sometimes they do. And I don't ever ask the couples to talk, but I remember one time there were two young couples on the sidewalk, and um, they both were saying to these girls going in, and this is on a public sidewalk. And when I heard them say that, I said, there's nothing more that can be said. But they said, we can't have children, and we want to help you and adopt your baby. I'm thinking, okay. I mean, there's nothing more to say. And so it just was, um, I think it's a beautiful way to try to save babies from abortion because you're putting real meaning. Uh, this is a baby that a couple wants. And, uh, and I, like I said, I don't ask the couples to talk, but if they want to, go ahead, you know, and... I think I shared this one story with you. Um, a mom was on the sidewalk, and she loved to say as girls go in, 
Jesus loves you and I want to adopt your baby. So, you know, I don't say anything. They, they want to say that. And so she said that one time to this girl who dashed through the door. And the, the mom left, the adoptive mom left, and about 45 minutes later this girl comes out and she walks up to me, and the greatest words you can hear out there is, I can't do it, I couldn't do it. And she was thinking about the offer of adoption while she was sitting in that waiting room. She herself had been adopted, so she knew the beauty of adoption. So that baby was saved just through that offer of adoption, and actually she didn't place an adoption because the man who brought her there didn't want her to do that but she sent us texts when the baby was born and said you know your angels on the sidewalk or whatever so that baby's alive and so anyway that i don't it's hard to explain except i just still believe in it as a powerful mission and what a powerful reminder it is too that um as as millie was telling us with her testimony you you were familiar with adoption and yet you were tempted. Um, someone who was adopted um, still has has. So, so, so how hard is it for for people who have no exposure to adoption? Um, so all the more under underscoring your points that we we need to be talking about this more. Um, maybe one last question. Well, first I'd like to wish you all a happy belated Mother's Day. <laughs> and uh, my question. Thank is you. We should have begun that way. <laughs> yeah, um, it was brought up earlier that. Um, there's a lot of absurd policy with, the, with respect to adoption. Um, I was wondering if there's a policy piece to the, or advocacy, political action piece to the uh, pro-life movement. And um, you know, what are some of these uh, policy impediments to adoption and what's being done about it? I'm not sure exactly what you're asking, what uh, adoption rules and regulations are you saying that interfere with adoption? or? Yeah, so... Uh, maybe I misunderstood the point earlier. Like what what you were saying was stupid policy, right? Right. What are the obstacles? Stupid policy. Yeah, yeah. Is what I was I referring know, to. I don't know yeah. much about Thank domestic. You. I don't know much about poli- policy about domestic adoption or international. I'm not. I don't know anything about policy. Period. But um, I do know from the international perspective. Gracie actually knows more about policy than she'll let on. But, <laughs> but go on. <laughs> and writes brilliant policy analysis every week. But, but anyway, the international perspective. I know that there's a lot of difficulty coordinating the the the, the way our country um, has these arrangements with other countries, and the corruption's all mostly on that. On I think all on the other side, uh, because we are in a sense buying babies, and because we go with a lot of cash, and so that creates these terrible incentives. I don't know that the United States can help much of that, except to to want to do it, like to want to establish better. Uh, policies and better parameters for for adoption with other countries. I I don't know that much about domestic adoption, but I I do hear that it's very difficult once a child's in the foster system. You know, the ch- children enter into foster system and then get trapped there, and they're not put up uh, for they're not given that that option for adoption. And I think that's probably very much local policy and state policy, and and it's very I'm sure a patchwork and very complicated. It'd be great if it could be uh, better better done everywhere. Well, let me first start by saying thank you for plugging next week's event, which, which, which gets into more of the policy, um, include, including um, the, 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 uh, the head of one organization that explicitly tries to keep children out of foster care. And the idea being in, in the culture we, we have now, you know, it used to be 
if you had to go to detox for a couple of months, you know, family would take care of your, your children, and we don't have that same culture. So there are families who will step in, and so the child never has to go into any kind of government system. Um, and, and anyway, we'll have, we'll have, um, we'll have a panel at 6 p.m. Um, next Monday night talking about that. Um, but also, um, the National Review Institute this year started focusing a little bit more on adoption and, and, and talking to people, um, particularly domestically. And one thing is clear, it's, it's state-level reforms that need to happen. And so, so we're, we're looking at, at trying to look at legislation and, and, and how we can influence and, and maybe help things along and partnering with some, some organizations around the U.S. So, so to be continued, I, I'm still learning. I'll be the first to admit. Um, but, but if we can help people along the way, it's something that I think we have to do. Also, Did we you? have a motto, loving moms, saving babies, because I think at the time when it happened to me, I couldn't, I don't know if it's denial, I just couldn't think of it as a baby yet. All I could think of is I have to go back to college in three weeks. It's my senior year. I'm playing tennis. All I could think about is what I wanted to do. And until you addressed the obstacles facing me, you weren't going to save the baby. If you say baby, 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 it just wouldn't have resonated with me. And I think you, ha when, what our counselors do is sit down and love the mom and what's facing you you're trying to go back to work you you're in, getting your master's degree or your parents would you know flip out a lot of them say my father's a pastor or you know or you know the christians actually sometimes have more trouble because mm -hmm. they'll get more judgment um so there's definitely all faiths um that's a problem and um so just remembering that some women are heart women some women are mind women you know I used to be, I guess, a mind woman at the age of 21. Now that I've had three children, I'd probably be more heart where baby, that would resonate with me. But, um, but at the time, but you, so you kind of have to judge when the person, if you, if you ever do pray outside of an abortion clinic, where are they? What, what are you facing? What, what can I help you with? Maybe saying the baby would work also. Um, you just never know what's going to touch someone's heart. But, but just being aware of that. So we say loving moms, saving babies one at a time. So you've got to take the girl that's in front of you and what she's facing. So. There's a woman named Eleanor McCullen um, who stands outside Planned Parenthood in Boston every Wednesday morning. And she just says good morning, you know, <laughs> and, and sees where that leads. Um, and, um, and uh, well, thank you very much, everyone, um, our panelists tonight, and everyone for coming, and everyone who watches this um, now or later online. Um, thank you, and to be continued. Thank you. Thank you.